Hello and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Women podcast, where we share the legacy of women of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You'll get to know the faithful women who shaped our past and hear from inspiring women of faith today. I'm Shailen Back. And I'm Carly Guyman. We are your co-hosts. And today we are so excited to welcome Susie Mullen to the studio as our guest. Susie, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're so excited to have you and excited for this conversation today. We want to introduce Susie before we jump into the questions. Susie was born in California and joined the church at age 25, and we're excited to hear more about that decision and change in your life later in our conversation today. Susie studied and taught dance at Brigham Young University, and she and her husband, Thomas Mullen, are the parents of four children. And they are quite a team. I love learning this. Together, they have led a mission in New York. They've served at the Provo MTC, and they now work as adjunct faculty members in religious education at BYU teaching together, which yep, is really fun. Amazing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of healthy for young people to see a husband and wife actually work and interact. Yes. I think so. That, I, I'd love to be in your class. Yeah. <laughs> And Susie is a member of the Relief Society Advisory Council, so we're excited to learn more today about her service in that role, and we're so thankful for what you do for the Relief Society. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, interesting side note, my husband serves on the Young Men's General Council also. Oh, oh right, advisory I didn't know council. that. Right. And so... Um, Again, as a team, you're... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's fun. It's exciting. Serving this together. That's, That's awesome. really neat. Well, Susie, we'd love to ask you, you had a professional dancing career, and like Carly mentioned, you joined the church at age 25. We would love to know what led you to join the church. And at that time in your life, what were some of the influences in your conversion process? And how did you grow in learning and testimony after you joined the church? Good question. A little bit longer answer. So I was a dancer, yes. Uh, My family went to many different religions. So I attended, I think I was even baptized in a couple of them, because that's what our family did. Mm -hmm. And at the age of 18, I got my first professional job. It was actually with Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus. And I was what they called then a showgirl. So I danced, I rode horses and elephants, and I climbed a rope and did a contorting act 20 to 30 feet in the air. Right. You actually have been in the circus. I have been in the circus, right. It's amazing. (laughs) A little odd, but I was bored at the time. I thought, "Mm, nothing sounded fun. I didn't particularly like school then, so this is what I did. And the ringmaster and his wife were Mormons. That's what we called them back then. And I didn't know anything about Mormons, but I did learn that every Sunday, no matter which city we were in, they would find a Mormon church and go to church, and they would always come back with ice cream. So I learned two things about Mormons, (laughs) and they're still true today, right? They go to church every Sunday, and they like ice cream. (laughs) That's so funny. I just love picturing you in the circus. This is so fun for me. So what happened? Did they introduce you to the church? How did you then find the church? Not really. They didn't, but I did keep in contact with them through the years. When I came home, it happened to be the disco era. So I happened to meet a man named Buddy Schwimmer. Both of his children, Benji and Lacey Schwimmer, have gone on So You Think You Can Dance, and they both have won. They're fabulous dancers, and that was my dance partner. And so it was the disco era. We opened up dance studios together. My whole life was all dancing. And I actually got to work with some pretty big celebrities just because it was such a big deal back then, and dancing was, and so we got jobs. And you're probably familiar with them, Bob Hope, John Wayne, Michael Jackson, Lionel Richie, and others. Our very own celebrity. Well, no. See, that's that's the interesting thing about the entertainment industry, is that I did shows with them. I saw them. I knew who they were. They have no idea who I am. I was just a dancer that was around them. Mm -hmm. 
But I got to catch a glimpse of their lives, and they lead very, very rugged, hard lives. And that was my takeaway. And as I worked in the entertainment industry for seven years, I thought, this is awful. I don't want to grow up to be one of these people. And so right at that time where I'm thinking those thoughts, I was picking up Lee and Linda Wakefield, who are head of the ballroom dance department. They had just gotten the job, and I was taking them out, picking them up from the airport and taking them out to a job. They were going to come teach for us at one of our what they call dance camps. And so they were asking me, Susie, how's your life? And I said, it's awful. I hate it. This is the pit. (laughs) And they said, oh, we're so glad. (laughs) Oh, really? Thank you. Why are you so happy that I hate my life? They said, because... We have this new job. We need dancers at BYU. Will you come? We need dancers. We need choreography. We need costuming. We need everything. And we want to go to the world championships in two years. Will you come? I said, well, sure, I'll come. When do you need me there? They said, two weeks. I said, okay, perfect. (laughs) I'll pack up and show up. You moved. And I moved. And Linda asked me where I wanted to live. And I said, Uh, Linda, I've never been to Provo, Utah. I have no idea where I want to live. Can you just find me a place to live? So she picked out a little house that she drove by every day on her way to and from work. And I just happened to move in with two returned sister missionaries. Imagine that. And they began teaching me the gospel. And I thought, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. I've seen everything that the world has to offer. Not everything, but enough to know that I didn't want to be there. And so I immediately... When can I go to church? When can I be baptized? And I only knew to ask those questions because they said, as you learn and grow in the gospel, you're going to want to be baptized. Oh, okay. When? (laughs) How soon? I want this. I know that I want this. And so I just had this lovely year of just being tutored, nurtured in the good word of God by these wonderful, wonderful sisters. They were just so good. Ellen Clark and Judy Wilson were their names. And hopefully they'll hear this because it's hard to find them nowadays. And they were spectacular in my life. Friends, just good friends. 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 Mm -hmm. Just taught me the gospel. That's amazing. What a great story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so neat to hear that. And interesting that you had kind of the insight and discernment to say, I don't want that. You saw what those lives were like, and you're like, that's not what I want. And somehow you recognized the truth and light of the gospel and thought, this is what I want. This is going to help me. This Mm -hmm. is going to help me. And it's interesting that you would bring that up. How I recognized that is I had a lot of born-again Christian friends, and I would ask them, how do you know you're in the right church? And they said, well, Susie, you've got to have faith. And I thought, well, what is faith? Well, I was raised on the ocean front. It was a beautiful community. It's still a beautiful community. And I remember walking along the beach one day and saying, God, I was told I have to have faith, but I don't know what faith is. So this is me having faith right now. What am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? And it didn't happen immediately. It may have been two or three years, but I kept looking, kept going. My mom would take me to her Bible study classes, Mm -hmm. so I would go with all the other old moms, and we would sit there, and I thought something, you know, they all wanted to point me in a direction. I thought, "Mm, no, almost, kind of, not quite. But when I came here, here meaning to Provo, Utah, moving into that, I thought, I'm here. I'm in the right place now. The Spirit will let us know when we're veering away, and when we're moving toward our Savior. So I'm curious, too, I think we talk a lot often about these conversion stories and what leads you to baptism. What was it like after you were baptized, growing and a big change to move from California as a professional dancer to Provo, Utah, joining the church? What was that like for you after that? 
Yeah, a really, really good question. So I was on the ballroom dance team, and I was doing all of that stuff, which was fun. It was great. But many of my dancer friends would say, Susie, you want to practice? You want to rehearse? You want to do that? Nah, I do that all the time. Can we just sit and read the Book of Mormon, please? (laughs) Will you just explain to me these words? This vocabulary is so different from anything I've ever understood before. Can you just help me with that? So that was my fate. As we go on tour, as we are sitting around rehearsals, whatever it is, will you please just read with me? Wow. Yeah. And they were willing to. Well, yeah. It's like, okay, most of them are return missionaries. It's like, oh, yeah, this will be great. (laughs) Yeah, they're very kind, benevolent souls. Yeah. So, again, having friends, it sounds like, who helped you on this learning process. Very much so. And what's interesting is that Kurt Holman, who now, with his wife, directs the ballroom dance team, was in my class, was on my team that I taught, and he was a young boy. I don't believe he'd even gone on a mission yet. And he was fabulous. Wow. Uh, Yeah. And it's like, wow, to see it come full circle around, there he is, a great talent, and yet a deep, deep testimony of the gospel, which was an example to me. Oh, that's the type of person. Now, he was way younger than I am. I don't know, 10 years younger. Mm -hmm. But that's the type of person I need to be married to. So it changed my whole thinking of where my life would go, Hmm. what I wanted in my life, and who I needed to spend time with. That's incredible. Thank you Mm -hmm. for sharing that. Mm -hmm. So we're going to jump and skip over a span of years, right? So you (laughs) attended BYU, you worked there, you did find someone really wonderful, your husband, Thomas. Yes. Tom. Tom, we go. Tom and Susie. There we go. (laughs) Found your husband, Tom, you had children, and then you and your husband were called to serve as mission leaders. Your husband is mission president in upstate New York. Yes. And I loved when we talked before this interview, Susie, And we've heard this from other women, too, that we know who know you that have just said that your home now and then as the wife of a mission president was somewhere where everyone felt welcomed and loved and just where people wanted to be. And you shared with us before this interview just a fantastic story about how as these young mission leaders in New York that you and your husband fostered an environment in the mission home that attracted kids and teenagers in the neighborhood can you share with our listeners that story and how we can then pattern that in our in How our many homes? hours do you have? There are so <laughs> many mission stories of, of interacting. So we were definitely the weird people in the neighborhood. Everyone in our neighborhood <laughs> knew <laughs> that we were the Mormons and to put your head down and stay away from where else, they'll try to hand you pamphlets and booklets and talk. <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. We thought, okay, let's not go down that road. Let's just be friends. And so that's what we tried to do is just be good neighbors. And our children got the same response at school. One of our boys came home and said, Mom and Dad, I've asked everybody I know. I've asked every single teacher, every single one of my friends, if they want to know more about the church. And they all said no. (laughs) Okay. He's trying so hard. trying so hard. Bless your little heart. Let's try another approach. And so it was actually our oldest son that invited his friends over because this was a football town and he happened to be a star football player, which he loved. And he started inviting his athletic friends over to our home and then they would go around the corner to quote unquote the church. And we had keys because that's what we did. And so we would let them in and they'd play volleyball or whatever. But then the younger one that had invited everyone he known would started going over with him. And pretty soon they started inviting friends. And it went from volleyball, because that couldn't involve everyone, to dodgeball. And so we would have these weekly dodgeball tournaments on Friday nights at the church. What better way to introduce young people to the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? <laughs> Fighting it out in dodgeball. I'm kidding, but nevertheless, they had a blast. And sometimes we would only have 50 
people, and sometimes we would have 150. Wow. I, only 50. I'm only like, that's 50. a pretty big group of kids. Especially when your family are the only ones that are members of the church, right? We yes. had to get other people to come into our church buildings and to see that's what amazing. it looked like. Yeah, it was a... And we didn't plan it. It was their doing. And so here we've got this kid that's, I think he was a sophomore, that is actually policing this crowd of hyper-athletic individuals. <laughs> so they would set up these teams, and he would work the whole thing on the blackboard, and he would run the whole thing with a whistle and a microphone and would, you would just call out these games, and he would make all of the referee decisions of who's <laughs> out and who isn't. They totally respected his ability. And so we would get these large groups of kids, and they policed themselves. That's what's interesting. I love hearing this. And then you told us that often as that ended, they'd end up at your house, at the mission home. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know about you, but when we were raising our children, we didn't do sleepovers. That was not something. No, everyone goes home to their own beds at night. Well, here, they would usually be 10 or 12 of them, and there was a missionary bunk room in the house, and they would all <laughs> go down. I thought, okay, I can't. We've got to be able to have some kind of a good influence here. So they would all sleep over, and then we would get up in the morning, and we would do the normal thing we always do, which is scripture study, and I would make some kind of a pancake or, you know, who knows, whatever, something rather, and they would sit and do scripture study with us and pray and eat breakfast and hang out until they were ready to go back home again. At the mission home. At the mission home. <laughs> in the missionary amazing. bunk room, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you can't script that. None of them ever said, Sister Mullen, that's usually what they call me, Sister Mullen, can I get baptized? It never happened. But I have to believe that seeds were planted, that mm -hmm. they felt things there in that home that I may never, ever know about. But I think that they recognized there mm -hmm. was difference. There was something going on yeah. here that they wanted to be around. Well, yeah. it's pretty incredible that they just kind of jumped in and did scripture study <laughs> yeah, without thinking prayer. like, yeah. It's so wonderful that all of these kids hopefully have positive memories and feelings towards, yeah, I might not ever join the church. I might not ever go to that church building again, but I was welcome there mm -hmm. and they were kind right. and we had fun and I loved being in their home. And there is value in those positive feelings Absolutely. and that friendship. Absolutely. We learned that actually early on. Uh, my husband served with two different wonderful, wonderful YSA bishops, and it was Bishop Jay Fox and Bishop Peter Crawley. And they taught us, and both of them had the same motto, mantra, but then when Tom was called as a YSA bishop and then as a YSA stake president, and I'm there by his side serving, both of those bishops always said, we'll take them right where they're at. We'll take them mm -hmm. wherever they're at, and we'll help them take a step forward closer to the Savior. And that was their goal. It was just to find a way for them to feel mm -hmm. the love of the Savior in these young people's lives. And so we were taught. I'd, I'd never served as a bishop's wife. Hello. I didn't know any of those things. But I watched those men with their wives by their sides working with these young single adults. And so that's where Tom and I have spent most of our life in church service is with young single adults, helping them. We take them wherever they are, and we help them come closer to the Savior. Mm -hmm. I think we kind of call that inclusion nowadays. It's yeah. kind of the new label yeah. on that thing, but it's been around It's just a Christ-like approach. Yeah. Isn't it what the Savior did? Everywhere he went, he always included, reached out, takes all of us right where we are, and helps us come closer. And I love that your home was such a big part of that, too. I keep thinking about 
I want to do that. Like, I want to have this comfortable home that people can eat pancakes and read scriptures and not think we're weird. And so I'm just wondering, what would you say, what are some simple things that we can do to foster this very welcoming, loving environment for other people, especially mm-hmm. regardless of their beliefs or affiliations? Mm-hmm. Right. And whether that's our home or that's our church unit, our ward, like you were saying yeah. in your YSA ward, just in these different environments that we're in. Right. Well, that's interesting because I'm Relief Society now. I loved homemaking night because I could go and I would sit with these wise women who would teach me. And I just was so nurtured in the good word of God. And so we do have four children. And yes, the oldest was four when the youngest was born. That was a fast and furious because I was infertile. That's a whole other story. But obviously I wasn't infertile because we got four children out of it, (laughs) (laughs) which is pretty great. So at that point then, my husband was now coaching four teams of soccer, four teams of football, whatever it was that was going on volleyball, he was always the coach. And so we would figure out ways to get all of these schedules meshed together. And one of our dear little friends drove by just a month ago and said, you know, I've never thanked you. My home life was a little rugged, and I knew I could always count on you to be there. And you nurtured me through junior high and high school because she was a great soccer player. And so she and our daughter would play together. And I thought, oh, I never realized that was going on. But she was just filled with emotion for the nurturing that she received from my husband. Now, we don't talk about men nurturing. We talk about men presiding and women nurturing. I'm thinking, nah, men nurture all the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, that's a lovely designation, but men nurture, and that's how you create that safe environment. So all of those girls would come over all the time. But same thing with the boys. They would just come and hang out at our house because they were nurtured there in the good word of God, Mm -hmm. whether it was playing a sport or whatever else it was. Mm -hmm. Now, just the opposite is true, and I just thought of this. Mm We had a family that actually they lived in three homes across the street in our neighborhood, and they had a rugged life. They just did. They had a lot of alcoholism, drug addiction, and and everything that goes with it, which isn't anything pretty. And it's tough to live in an all-Mormon neighborhood when you're the alcoholic and the drug addict Mm. and the divorced and fill in the blank of all the hard things that happen. Mm -hmm. So we have this little friend, and I'm going to call them Sally, Joni, and Annie. And Sally and Joni and Annie were playing over at Sally's house. And Sally's mom drinks coffee and has beer in the refrigerator because the husband that she's married to, that's what he has and that's what they do, Mm -hmm. right? And so little Joni is hanging out there just fine, letting it roll, no big deal. Little Annie said, (gasps) that's coffee. I can't be in a house with coffee and goes running away. I know. And it's very, very hurtful when you're the one, a child, that's mom has coffee. Now, where is coffee in the lineup of awful things that we do in our lives? <laughs> it's pretty far down there. I, mean, you I would can think, think of a lot so. worse things. And yet she had been taught very, very strict rules in her home and couldn't see beyond the rules that maybe we could help this friend of mm-hmm. ours feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. So somehow that got passed on, and that's what our children know and understand, is that we love people. We care for them. Mm-hmm. Well, and it is showing me it's so important to be that example of seeing the bigger picture and just loving and recognizing people for who they are and mm-hmm. being their friends. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's really that simple. Right. And we teach mission prep, so we're helping these young people 
learn how to go out into the world. They're going to see it all. Mm -hmm, They're going to mm -hmm. see stuff that they never wanted to see. But you can't cross your arms and scream, ah, I'm getting out of here. This You can't. You know, they have to love the people that they're meeting, mm -hmm. wherever they are, whatever the culture is. Now, does that mean we accept it all and embrace it and pull it into our lives? No, but we can love the people. We have to be able to see them. And so it's wonderful to teach young people that lesson. Mm -hmm. It's a powerful thing for them to learn. I love that it's both creating an environment, but then also being a person that sees people. You know, I think of your little example, like Sally is just the child in this situation. Yeah. She's not right. making these choices or decisions. Right. She's just the child and she needs that love. And I wanted to say too, I love this idea of let's just think of how we can be a nurturing environment for other people. I think sometimes we think I need to have a really big house or I need to have mm -hmm. a home that's really well decorated or a really fabulous backyard and lots of snacks for these kids. <laughs> but I think of the places that I hung out as a teenager and it's like there were all sorts of places, but that nurturing element, we knew that we were welcome there. They were happy to have us. Mm -hmm, right. They wanted to get to know us. Like, the food is pretty important. Just yeah, you know, for teenagers, <laughs> it actually is. <laughs> but you're right. It's every else. Yeah. Now, I want to contrast that. So re I love Relief Society. I could hardly wait to get there to be nurtured. What's interesting is that during those soccer football years where Tom's coaching, we're trying to get everyone all in the same place, I couldn't attend Relief Society for a while. And I remember walking in one day thinking, oh, good, I've got enough time. I can go over at least for 30 minutes. Now, get this. I was greeted and the comment was, oh, look who decided to show up. Oh, I know. And I thought, wait a minute. This is Relief Society where we love yeah. everyone. What it let me know is that somebody was having a conversation about me behind my back about she doesn't come anymore. And no one saw it for what it was. She's a busy mom with young children, and they could have asked me. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, I never want to make those type of comments mm -hmm. to anyone. Yeah. And the woman that said it, it was not her personality at all. And I thought, wow. That lets me know somebody has been talking about me because she would never, ever come up with those words on her Interesting. own. Interesting. Yes. Because what that comes from is that they've been missing you. Yes. And all you have to say is, oh, we've missed you and we're so glad that you're right. here. Yes. It's so great to see you. We know that you've been really busy with your kids. Spot on. Exactly yeah. where that comment should have gone. Well, and I think it's a good reminder that little comments for bad or for good go a long way. Yeah. And like how wonderful it would be in those situations to just be the person that notices when someone's there. Yes. Anyway, so we're talking about Relief Society now, but that that can be a place so good to have that's you. also nurturing and welcoming and, and, and all should those be. things. Right, right. Yeah. Well, we've been talking about meeting people who have different beliefs than us and making them feel welcome and included. But I'm thinking about in my own life and in the lives of so many of our listeners, they're wondering what can we do to continue that spirit of inclusion when we have people in our families or even in our own homes, like our children who are deciding to have different beliefs than us or, or to even step away from the church. Mm -hmm. So we would love to know for these women who are concerned about their children who no longer participate in the church, what would you say to them if they're feeling sad or guilty or anxious? Great question. The remedy is the same. You always invite everyone to come unto Christ, no matter where they are, and treat everyone as though they are a child of God, because they are. But you always invite them to come unto Christ in all that you say and do 
And it shouldn't even have to be the things that you say. It should just be the way it is, that you love them and they can feel your love and they'll want to be near it. It's as simple as that. Now, is that harder to do in real life? Yeah, of course it is. But that's the solution. And we don't have to take credit for or blame for other people's behavior. All we have to do is keep living our lives as best we can, following the Savior, and moving forward on the path that the Lord has chosen for us, whatever it is. Now, you're getting into some areas when people do things that aren't reasonable, that aren't logical. Usually there's something else there. And maybe the gist of it would be, or maybe uh, the way to observe that would be this last year teaching mission prep. So these are 18-year-olds. They're trying to become better. They're trying to go on a mission. They're trying to change whatever they need to change in their lives. Well, we had COVID. By this time, last fall semester, they were crashing and burning. And we didn't realize how stressful it was, but we had hundreds of students. And normally we interact, you know, we teach them how to, we call it repentance, just turning to God all day, every day. It's part of the missionary process. But so the way that boils over in our class is that if you miss an assignment, all you have to do is send me an email. Sister Mullen, I messed up. I missed this assignment. Mm. Oh, thank you for reaching out to me. I will open that up for you right now. I'm not going to judge. You don't need to make up silly excuses. If you want to get the credit, you've got to approach me, square it off with me, (laughs) and I'll help you get that assignment. I want you to get all your work done. Mm -hmm. And so they learn that really quickly. But what for the first time in all of our years of teaching, we would have a student disappear for two or three weeks. And I would email them and email them and email them. I said, you're welcome to come back. Whenever you're ready, I'll help you get caught back up. This is really hard. This is hitting all of us. Mm -hmm. And they would eventually email Sister Mullen. I'm so sorry. I've never done this before. And my response is, none of us Mm -hmm. have ever done this before. This is new. We're going to adapt and adjust. Let me help you get caught up. You just send those assignments to me, and I will give you credit as soon as you get those into me. And so as family members, as parents, as grandparents, whatever position we're in, we always offer a way back because that's what the Savior would do. That's what he does for us, right? When we drop off the planet for however many weeks because we're in the middle of a COVID crash or we're addicted or fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. Mental illness is set in and I never thought I would do this, but now I feel things I've never felt before. Whatever it is, the Savior always welcomes us back and will help us find solutions for whatever it is that's going on in our lives. I really like that. The lesson of how you supported your students is so beautiful. And I think that's what we can do as parents, too, or as friends or as family members. We're just kind of there and giving those reminders without passing judgment, without just reprimanding. You weren't saying you have so many absences, you know, with, right. it's, it's just amazing. And I'm thinking this was probably years ago. We did an episode and we focused on a talk and there was a story of a woman. She was just so torn up about her children leaving the church and she just didn't know what to do about it. And so she kept going to the temple and her answer was she couldn't really do anything about it. <laughs> and so what she did was she just kept living her life and she felt so guided in what to say when the opportunity came. If there were ever questions, she felt like she could answer them. She just kept living her natural, normal life. And she's like, they're my kids. I love them so much. And it was just amazing that epiphany she came to. There's nothing I can do except be the best me and the best mom that I can. 
Exactly. You love them. That's all there is to Mm -hmm. it. And you have to recognize, too, that it's safe for me to do that whole grading thing in mission prep. Hello. I just want them to get through the chapters (laughs) so they can go out and teach. That's how you teach life skills is you treat people in a good way. Yeah. Wow. I love the mission prep analogy. And I also think what you said about in terms of addressing those feelings, because there are those feelings of of sadness or worry or guilt even for especially moms, I think, but also if you're in a marriage and you're dealing with a spouse who's made other choices or left the church. But what you've said is, well, we don't take credit and we don't need to take blame. Just like for you with these students who are making choices or unable to complete assignments, that's not really a a reflection of you (laughs) as the teacher, not necessarily. No, it's exactly. So another way to to view that analogy, I think. I like that. Yeah. So thank you. So Susie, we want to kind of go back to this conversation of belonging and inclusion in Relief Society. And when we talked, you shared with us your desire for younger sisters, so young women and young adults, to really look forward to and feel that they belong in Relief Society, which is, as we've talked about, the Lord's organization for women. This is a divine organization. So I want to ask, I think it comes from both directions. One, I think, what is it that the Relief Society can offer to young women today around the world who are maybe making choices about like, what do I want to participate in? What do I want to belong to? What do I want to be a part of? But then also, what can these younger sisters offer to the organization of the Relief Society? I think that's a wonderful question. And I If we had the answer, I would be able to tell you, but I don't think we really know, and I think it's area-specific. So Mm. I do know that in upstate New York, I'd never been in such a small Mormon, quote-unquote, community, but it wasn't like the children or the young women or the Relief Society all went to the church and separated. It was Tuesday night was church night, and they all went, and they all interacted with whatever was going on at the church, which seems to me really healthy. But it's in these populations where we have larger numbers that it's too hard to figure out what 150 females are going to do in the church. A dodgeball tournament. A dodgeball tournament. (laughs) There you go. So I think that it gets separated more because of the sheer volume, the sheer numbers. I think in areas of the world— Where the numbers are smaller, it's a more intimate, interactive family night together. But it's just when we get to Utah, the Pioneer Corner, whatever you want to call it, that it's a little bit harder when you have a young woman group of 100 and something. What are you going to do? you got to figure out how are you going to get them to interact. And I don't have a solution, but I think that we start teaching them early on that you are a woman. And a woman is a divine attribute. And we help develop those feelings from the time that they're born. You are so lucky to be a girl. This is all of the wonderful things you have to look forward to. And be a part of. And to be a part of. And it goes the same way for boys. You are so lucky to be a boy. You get to have women in your life and you get to treat them well. And, you know, we get to work together. And there's nothing stronger than a male and a female working together to better their home, their family, their community, their you name it. And it should be that type of teaching, I believe, that would help us bridge the gap from YSA to young married to a healthy ward scenario where we're all interacting and helping each other learn and grow. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was a great answer. It's beautiful. Yes. 
And I think even the suggestion just to help women of all ages, so girls and teenagers, and again, adult women of all ages, to feel together. And I think that teaching the young girls to look forward to like, this is what you're a part of. Mm And as older women to embrace the girls and young women in our wards and not say, well, I'm not in primary. I'm not in young women. Mm -hmm. But instead, just embracing them together. And I love that young women can be a part of ministering. Yes. And that's Mm -hmm. a very natural way that the men have been doing, that teenage boys were previously involved in home teaching, but that a teenage girl can be involved in ministering, can be mentored by an older woman, can be part of this effort to reach out to and care for and watch over women in their ward. In various circumstances, various situations, that's really important. And they are capable of that. Yeah. They are capable, and it is so healthy to see other women, the way they interact, to hear their challenges and their struggles and their triumphs and the glory, and to see it all and think, okay, this is all normal. This is all going to be a part of the span of my life. It's not always going to be high school prom. It's going to be other things more important, more engaging, more life-expanding than high school or whatever Mm -hmm. it is, wherever it is that they're not seeing the future and all of the good that the future holds for them. I love that. And it's okay if we don't have all the answers. It's okay if you don't have all the answers. (laughs) I think the good thing is just by asking these questions, it hopefully gets people thinking. And I love that you said it's going to depend on where you live. There are different opportunities and challenges based on where you live and what the church looks like where you live. But that can be a really positive thing. And it doesn't have to look like the way that your cousin's ward looks or your mom's ward looks Mm -hmm. or your friend's. It can be its own unique unit and organization. Not only it doesn't have to look that way, it shouldn't. Mm -hmm. You should adapt and adjust all the time for whoever is in that flock, whoever is with you wherever you are. Thank you. I think those are such great insights. As we conclude, we're just wondering, Susie, is there anything more you would share with the women of the church or those listening to this podcast? I love the women of this church. I love their abilities, their capabilities, and I love serving at a time when we have President Nelson, who is such a supporter, such a believer in women and their capabilities, I feel as though they are reaching out in very specific ways to help us as women become who we were meant to be. They are opening doors for us to learn and grow and become. And as we become who we are meant to be, all of the men around us become who they are meant to be. There's no siloing. We're all children of God working for one purpose. And I love the crossover that is so very apparent now. The capabilities, the appreciation for differences and abilities that bring us together. I think I'd want that. Thank you. I think that's a really important message and we appreciate that. And we're so glad that you chose to be with us today. Thank you. It's been wonderful. Thank you, Susie, for sharing your insights and your experiences. We really appreciate it. To our listeners, thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Latter-day Saint Women podcast. As a reminder, we have new episodes released every week, and we hope you'll continue to tune in and share these episodes with your friends and family members. We love hearing from you. Feel free to contact us at podcast at churchofjesuschrist.org with any suggestions for topics or guests. You can also leave feedback and reviews on Apple Podcasts. 
We also want to make sure our listeners are aware that the podcast is available just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. So keep that in mind as you think of specific people to share this episode with or past episodes. Tune in, subscribe, and please continue to share these voices and stories of women of faith with your friends and family. We'd also like to thank our wonderful editor, Kurt Dahl, and our producer, Matthew Mangum, and the many others who support this podcast. Until next week, I'm Shailen Back. And I'm Carly Guyman. Thanks for listening. Thank you.